Hello, everybody. Today you have Jake and Seth, and it is June 9th slash 10th-ish when this airs, and we're going to discuss just some uh, recent news topics. Hey, Seth, how you doing, my man? Good, good. Always good. Always happy to be here and talk with you. I missed you. I missed you, buddy. It's, uh, it's great, to, great to have you back. So talking about beautiful relationships, I think the perfect news topic to talk about is Amber Heard and Johnny Depp and that case. <laughs> Lovely relationship between the two, apparently. Um, yeah, high profile case. It was, everyone I know had some people talking about this. Everyone at my work was talking about it. My wife was aware of it. Um, seems like there's a lot of, you know, it, it piqued the public interest for one reason or another. It does, yeah. I'm. I guess I'm not surprised. This is the one that broke through, but that was, yeah, that was one. Also, the reason I was surprised about how many people were reaching out to me. I'm sure similar with you, knowing I like movies, was a movie fan, like about this. And I actually didn't really pay that much attention to it, but caught up on a lot of the, uh, of the outcome. So the net net being that Johnny Depp was basically Johnny Depp sued for libel in a previous case against Amber Heard because she sued him for being like abusive and. This was the, consider this the third fight, uh, the, the second rematch, the third fight in the boxing duel. Actually, I apologize. That's a terrible analogy given the allegations here. Uh, really, sorry, I did not, did not mean that. This, consider this the, the rubber match, though, of, uh, like a, the, of, the, of the legal cases. Ultimately, and my understanding was that Depp was awarded $15 million in damages. Heard was awarded $2 million in damages. The net net being, though, that Amber Heard was responsible for derailing Johnny Depp's career. Uh, and which I think also was kind of like indirectly also that like he wasn't abusive and that she was kind of like, I think with the, the win was that not the win, the net net or what people were taking away from it was that like, yeah, there, there was a lot of unfortunate things about both of them as people in there. And just like kind of like just sad, like for those two people to be so successful, quote unquote, and to be so miserable. Like it just was very sad. But uh, net net being that she is the crazy one. Like it's in the, it's not you, it's me thing. It's when she says that it's right. It's her. That is the sign, like, that's a pretty, like, even if it's, like, a prank that someone does in, like, high school, like, that, that's a cry for something. There's something wrong if you're taking a dump. Like, and yeah, we've, what's it, like, the upper deckers and stuff? I've seen it. But, like, not, you're not in a good head space if you're doing that. And it's that, like, also, some of the things she said, like, they said terrible things to each other, and he said terrible things, too, but. Like some of the things, and again, I didn't hear the full case, but like, just mean, like they're both so mean and nasty to each other, but just like, 
not here to be their relationship police or their judge them, but it broke through. And I just thought it was interesting. I mean, what was interesting for me was that Amber Heard, like for the fact that, I mean, I'm sorry, anyone who saw that movie, you know, Aquaman realizes that she's probably not the greatest actress in the world. Not that she's not a good actress, but she wasn't great in that. Like the cut that it came out that she almost lost her job, that Jason Momoa stepped in to keep her like for the sequel. But like the takeaway for me is I think this sucks for both of them. One, sat for better or worse, I think Johnny Depp will rebound. He's going to – Mel Gibson is still making movies. And what he did was far worse than anything here, I think. Yeah. So that's going back to a director he's familiar with and sounds like he can do something with it. But it does seem like uh, it will not surprise me if he has a run of a couple of movies coming up. He'll have a chance. He'll be in a Marvel movie at some point or DC movie. He's going to have a chance. Or he's going to be on a premium show on like True Detective 6. He's going to have his chance to bounce back. Uh, Amber Heard, I'm not. I know I'm not judging her as a person either. She's like, I hope she can make a career too. I don't want her to go in debt. Like, and I, sadly, like, I think she's going to have a harder time coming off of this because um, I just don't know. Like, she's hot. She's beautiful. But that's, like, not uh, – she hasn't made a ton of great decisions. Me too. And I don't think that makes a sexist stuff. Although I know you wanted to call me sexist. I can see it on your face. You thought you got me. You thought you got me. On NBA NBA Finals, quickly. Celtics Warriors. Celtics up two one. What are your thoughts? Um, it's been an interesting series. I've caught all three games. You know, that first game, I thought the Warriors were gonna walk away with. The Celtics had a huge comeback. Second game, Warriors kind of really, you know, stood up for themselves. I thought Draymond had a big game, real physical game. Um, and then that game three. Uh, Boston's played a lot better, and like the physicality of Boston is starting to come out now. And that usually happens the deeper you get in the series, is that the, the the taller, 
stronger team can start to impose their will. And, you know, the Warriors are this team where it's like they've always been a, a perimeter team. They've always been a jump-shooting team. And so it's interesting to me that, I mean, especially that last game, I just felt like they couldn't get a rebound. They were having difficulty defending the rim on all the, on all the Celtics' drives. And so, um, I mean, it, it kind of feels like each game, uh, it, it goes back and forth. And so it wouldn't surprise me if it goes six or seven games. Um, when the, the series started, I, I was predicting Warriors in six. But right now, I kind of feel like Celtics and Celtics and seven, maybe just kind of based on what I've seen so far, but never count out a championship team, especially with as much firepower as the Warriors. But I think they need to figure out a little bit more defending the rim and how to rebound against this team right now. Cause they're having a lot of trouble with that. I, I haven't watched much of the series, so I'm not going to speculate. So thank you for that. But the one thing I will, I did have a question though. I, I, I'm listening again, not watching, but from what I've heard and read, it seems like, I know I knew the Celtics were physical, and I knew that that was a threat. But when the Warriors were winning back in that run, I knew they could shoot. I knew they had finesse. I knew they had speed. But they had some physicality too, right? Like, wasn't couldn't they also? I knew they were famous for that death lineup. But like Andre Iguodala and Draymond and like Clay when he was healthy, they could all like kind of bring it defensively, right? Yeah. And, and I think that's that's kind of. I mean, Draymond's having a tough series. He's only had one good game. Um, you know, Iguodala's come off the bench. I think he's only played like five or six minutes the whole series, and so Iggy's kind of not one of their primary guys anymore. Um, and I, you know, that's where they're hurting. It's like they need somebody more. You know, they have this guy Looney, um, who's kind of their best big man, um, and Gary Payton the second, <laughs> or Gary Payton Junior is what I call him. But like, GP two, he's, he's got some toughness to him. But that's the thing. It's like you know, you need Draymond's one of these guys that he's a he's a rough player and he gets up in people and he you know he starts shit and all and all that stuff. But it's like you need him to play bigger than he is and like. It can't just be talking shit on the court. Like you gotta, you gotta actually. Your play has to reflect that as well. And so, there. I mean, he's having trouble. You know, Robert Williams on the Celtics. It's a seven footer that protects the rim. He's got at least fifty pounds on Draymond. I mean, it's not going to be easy for Draymond to like handle somebody like that. And so, I, I mean, again, he's a championship player. Uh, you know, he's been through wars before, and so I'm not going to doubt him. But right now, it's like you know, he's older and he's smaller, and you know, I think. At, at certain points, you know, the facts are facts when it comes to physicality. So it sounds like we've seen them win, from you, and what it sounds like generally, we've heard, we've seen them win before. Obviously, they're the champions, but this will be the first time we've actually seen them grit it out. Well, they'll need to grit this out or find a way to win, yeah. as opposed yeah. to having well, the, the best. The final they lost, you know, Durant and, and Clay Thompson both got hurt, and so I think that was a different scenario. This is like they're healthy. I mean, they have Clay, they got Steph, they're both shooting well. And so, yeah, it's like they're going to have to grit it out or just really outscore them. I mean, honestly, I feel like the Warriors have been scoring well. It's really the defense and, the, and again, rebounding and possession. It's like they got to figure something out on that side of the ball. All right, last question here before we move on to our third topic. What, what do you make of all this uh, pearl clutching from Golden State after Game 3 in Boston? I've heard a lot of whining about fans saying F Draymond and – Cursing, cursing of fans. Can you believe it? Look, I think that's a lot of, you got a lot of Bay Area. I, I'm not going to call them fair weather fans. I know there's a lot of people in Oakland that have been following the Warriors for a long time. And uh, Oakland fans are real people. I, I, I really was a fan of that. I've been to that. I went to the old arena in Oakland, and that was a real fan base they had. I think the San Francisco fans are a little bit more, you know, touch and go there. But mm. hey, look, if you're going into Boston Garden for a finals game, Nobody's nobody's talking nice. Okay, that's the big leagues. Like, step it up. 
be a big boy. Like, this is the big time. You're not going into Boston and not getting some shit talk that you met. That was also, like, the only thing, like, again, I'm not, again, no, I'm by no means the expert, but you're talking, like, you're NBA. These guys aren't, aren't just NBA. They're, like, old, they're dynasty. This is a dynasty. Yeah. I'm not expecting them to be experts, but everyone knows of every city when the NBA, for the NBA teams, Boston's the worst. Boston cursed at Bill Russell. They're be- a 10-time, probably one of the top best players of all time. The best Jay player of his generation. Uh, I think he's better than Wilt. And they booed him. And they hated him for like 20 years. Like, the fact, like they are known for being tough. And honestly, they're, they're dropping F. I'm, the, I'm not giving them any medals for this. But they're dropping F-bombs and other things which are rude. But they used to say a lot worse things, like racially toned things to their own players. Yeah, I mean, I, w- I watched the game last night. Um, I heard the I heard the fuck you Draymond trance. And I had no, did not surprise me at all. I mean, I've watched enough Knicks Celtics games. It's fair game with the crowd. I mean, I did not think anything went over the line. I thought it was a good, tough, loud crowd. I, it was exactly what I expected out of Boston crowd. Uh, I'm also, first of all, I am. I fully. This was a bit of a paradox. But I fully agree that cursing should not be allowed at sporting events um, with kids. Like any with kids, no. At the same time, I'm not surprised when it happens. Like especially in intense environments. Like it's. I think you need. I think you can do both. You don't encourage it. You don't condone it. But like, let's not. I like, wouldn't encourage freak it. But out. I will say, like, you know, as a kid, as a six-year-old kid that would go to Yankee Stadium frequently. That was kind of like a window into like adult language, honestly. Like I don't feel like it hurt me to be around, you know, people in New York cursing at the players they watched. I just no. I felt like it was kind of like a, a learning experience, honestly. No, and it, <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more. Like that's like I heard some of the funniest things, and it's not always cursing. Like sometimes they say really funny things that are just really mean. And also, then like, where does it stop? Like, okay, New like Red New York sucks. Like. That's not a nice thing. What are they sucking? Like, take it a step further. Like, it's it's going to be unpleasant language. And uh, and I'm not saying that just because it's not racist or it's not the vilest or worse that you I mean, could say it's okay. But, like, you're, you, there should be trash talk. You, you should allow trash. The other end of the spectrum, too, it's like a crowd without an edge is no fun. To, it's no fun to watch those. You know, a crowd with an edge, it just brings another element to the game. I think it's way more interesting. And, I, you know, I don't want to see any... I don't want to see that part of sports locked just because we get a little too sensitive. So there's some famous story. I don't know if it's true or if it's just like a meet, like a prank or a joke or it's like apocryphal if that's the right word. But uh, that like I listened to the Michael K show and Don LaGreca is one of the guys on there, and he said and he said it was real. He yeah, or at least he indicated he thought it was real. That like early on, this was like old school, like maybe in the 50s or 40s or even or like early 30s, 30s, 20s. But there was at one point like an Ivy League football game. And the fans were like total squares. Like it was literally, they were cheering like advance the ball, advance the ball. Like the cheers were, and part of that granted was the time. Like there probably weren't that many cheers to choose from, but like it was so literal. But like, and the joke is like, he, there were several cheers like that. And he goes through them and like, when you cheer like that level of like cleanness, it's boring. Like you, you need a little edge and you're not there. And yeah, you're not probably having a big, re- this is the thing people, the pro athletes say they never listen. And then when they lose, they blame the audience and the fans. So like the more, and the more they talk about it, the more fans are going to think they can like have an effect and the more, and it's, it's a self-feeding thing and you want to stop it at like throwing stuff or getting physical. But at the same time, like 
it's part of the back and forth, and I think it's a good thing. As long as it stays. Also, you know, we came out of that bubble period where there were no fans, and it's like those like the energy of those games was so lost, and it was like it was so weird to watch games with no fans. And so I do think having the fans back full volume, maybe it rattles the players a little bit more. Maybe some people got a little comfortable with that no fan thing, but it's like, I, I mean, yeah, it's it's part of the game. I mean, you, you need friction to make fire. You need, need that sizzle. All right, all right. Sorry, my fault. I took us down a path there. All right, no offense to Bay Area fans. We love you. West Coasters, we love. We like you. Just loosen up. I especially, I feel for the for the old Oakland Warrior fans. Some of these San Francisco fans, I think, were like, you know, millionaires that just got into basketball a few months ago. You mean like all those uh, Texas oil guys who went, became baseball fans in 2017? I literally guys I knew for years from high school never never made peep about baseball, diehard Astros fans. But well, that's another story for another day. Okay, story number three, Obi Wan series. We're gonna keep this short. Have you watched any of it? I have watched the first three episodes, Jake. I actually have found a little time to get in there. Um, I'll, okay, one of the first things I'll say, um, the, I was very happy they did a catch up on the first episode where they just did a. a a montage of the three prequels because I was like, this is way more enjoyable than watching the three prequels. Wasn't that okay? I, first of all, couldn't agree more. And I felt like we talked about this, or maybe, maybe not, but like the broad strokes of the first trilogy were great. Like this pitch or strategy, like the outline pitch or like top yeah, line, yeah. Out, like two to three work was great. It was all of the minute details, like really where the movie making comes in, because the problem is George Lucas was a producer at that point and not really a director. And by third, the third film, he'd figured it out or there was enough spectacle or just he backlogged so much story. There was enough there to like be a real movie. But exactly. it's, yeah, it's so. I also appreciated that. We, we, we Happy to go as deep or as light as you want. Happy to or talk about save some of this meat for the later series. But just any highlights for you as much as you want to give. Uh-huh. What I would say, I, I, I like I like watching McGregor. Um, he's kind of aged into the role, and so I like that it's like this natural, like he's the right age for where Obi-Wan is in his life. Um, one of the things, one of my early critiques, I guess, is that it feels like it's turned into this thing of like him kind of shepherding Princess, a young, young Princess Leia around, um, and it feels a little too similar to Mandalorian, um, where it's like the Mandalorian shepherding uh, young Yoda. I forget what it's It's called. a little derivative. Yeah, it's, it's kind of the same idea, basically, where it's like he's the mentor or shepherd of this young child. I wish, I guess I wish there was going to be a little more like Obi-Wan going on his own solo adventures kind of thing. But at the same time, I mean, the use of, of the characters they have for that period, I guess it's not a bad idea. Um, I don't know what's what, what's been your take. I I did a couple mini shows on this, so I'll be even briefer than normal. But I, I so I can quickly recap how I feel. I made a point going into this that I didn't wasn't going to be such like um, a slave to the mythology or like the rebels and like I was so I wanted to go in, especially after the last trilogy. And I know I still have a ton of vitriol for the last for the last few Star Wars movies. But going into this, I was like, one, I love Obi-Wan. I was telling myself I was going to just go in a little lighter. Um, With that being said, I forgot how much I liked him 
the character and Ewan McGregor in this role. And to your point, I think it's really cool the way it worked out with Ian McDiarmid, like how they aged, hired him when he was younger and aged him up. And then he was actually able to age with the role. And the way that's worked with really like Hayden Christensen too, in a way, but and which was, I think we'll see more of him, but more so Ewan McGregor. It's just so cool. Like it's whether it's by design or luck or the, what fortune favors those who work hard, whatever it is, it's really cool. And so with that, seeing him in the role, even if they were giving me like Jar Jar Binks, I would be happy just because, just so I could see him. Uh, but taking, so understanding that, taking a step back, being more objective, I liked it. I think it's, it's not pushing the envelope as much. It's funny. I just love like that Star Wars, it feels like they're always so conservative, except when it comes to the mythology or fan expectations. Like they have no problem, like totally crushing like Star Wars Rebels or like, and we, like, I don't know if you know, like quick spoiler alert, you know, the Grand Inquisitor who's like stabbed. He's a major character in Star Wars Rebels, like the character. And this I is supposed to be a bigger character in the series. So I, I was surprised at that. Moment. Me too. And so I won't go through, I do, I talk about it on the podcast, but like, it's so funny. Like, instead of making like something like a little bolder or a little more adult, like taking that step, like, no, we don't want to upset the fans, but they'll do this other stuff, which they should know by now pisses the fans off. Like they look like, they, like they still haven't learned their lesson from last Jedi or like, just like it's, and again, the lesson isn't to be a slave to fans, but my biggest takeaway from watching Obi-Wan is I think it's great. I now, more so than ever, believe that Kathleen Kennedy doesn't really actually understand Star Wars fans. Like, I, 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 and I say that, and like, I think she knows, I look at her as Robert Goodell or Roger Goodell. I think she's like a smart business person. She's smart. She's a good business person. But she was handed a money-making machine and like, honestly, she's doing great, but like she is just moving the numbers on the margin a little bit because you could have put a monkey as the head of the NFL and they would still be making billions of dollars a year. Uh, And for, I'm sorry, Kathleen Kennedy, you could literally put the Jar Jar Binks cutout poster as the head of Star Wars and have any movie come out. And as long as the budget's under $100 million, it's going to make like 3x, 4x its budget. So the idea that like she's a genius is like, is gone. And I'm not, I'm saying that without any malice. And the reason I say that too is just talking about the killing of Grand Inquisitor. You have Dave Filoni who has worked so hard for his, for the Mandalorian to bring in elements of the mythology from Rebels, which is tied to Clone Wars. You add those together, that's 10 years of TV shows and stories that they've told on Clone Wars that they're making real in Mandalorian. And then you kill a character in the first episode of your next of like live action series that totally blows apart, that the first one without Filoni in it, that totally stomps on that mythology, that carefully crafted mythology. It just like, it really boggles my mind. And I'm saying that it doesn't ruin it for me, but it just like, so it just like it's the thing I can't get over. Yeah, yeah. I like from the diehard fan point of view, I totally get what you're saying. Um, I do like, and again, I feel like they could have pushed the envelope a little more story wise. Um, I do one of the couple of things I have, I have appreciated is like the set design and the scale of it is really good, and it's different from like Mandalorian and some of the other spinoffs, which which I appreciate. I also also just like having Vader back and that James Earl Jones voiceover. 
Um, can't get enough James Earl Jones, if, if, if you're asking me. Um, always always loved him. I always felt like he's the one of the least appreciated parts, and, and he's a huge part of the original trilogy, and so just awesome to have him back voicing Vader again. Just want to say, couldn't agree more. Also, I mentioned Hayden Christensen. Vader. It's James Earl Jones as Vader's voice, and I, I'm always so delighted every time. I'm like, oh, he's still around. He's still doing it. Like, He's great, and to your point, the other half of this equation getting to play with like in the sandbox or toy box with these characters again, Vader, a young, even if it's a young Leo or a young Luke, or I never loved Lars, but I love the, the uh, actor who plays him. I'm blanking on his name right now, but the guy who plays him is great. Like, so I love being playing with these characters. I'm sorry. He was the one I meant. Um, I'm totally, I know we know his name, but that's the actor I meant. Uncle Owen, like the um, Varma who just played Tala and Lester. It's a great cast. It feels the most like a movie. Like I think Mandalorian yeah. felt like premium TV. This feels like movie quality. And even though the story and some of the chase scenes with Leia, by the way, the chase scenes with Leia are the one. All the feedback I had from people were how terrible those were. But like this is a this is a show that does that's great in spite of its flaws. That's what I'd say. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, it's not perfect, but it's it's more just fun to and nostalgic to go back to those characters. Yeah, I'm with you. Agreed. All right. Next topic, if you're if you're cool with that. We're cool. All right. Yeah. I'll be brief. Uh, you might not watch it, so it might not mean anything. So we can be quick. But uh, Netflix, Stranger Things came out Memorial Day weekend, set a huge record for English, English language uh, shows with 286 million hours of view, which is either the first week or first three days. But it was basically the biggest release by like nearly 2x the second biggest, which was Bridgerton. Um before I go any further, do you watch the show? Um, so I've watched most of the first season, I think. I watched it a few years ago, but I have not, for whatever reason, I haven't gone down the Stranger Things pathway or whatever. My wife hasn't really watched it. Um, we have watched Bridgerton. She's very into that. But mm-hmm. you would think, I mean, I am a big, like, 80s fan, and I love those, like, movies. And, like, I understood a lot of the references that show was bringing up when I was watching the first season. Um but for whatever reason, it didn't it didn't become a primary thing for me. But I did notice it was doing huge numbers. It was. I'm I'm a fan, um, as you know. I'm like a super nerd in a lot of things. This is one of the shows I just like. Like I like Stranger Things, but like I watch. I basically binge a season and then don't think about it until the next season comes out. Uh, I really like this season. I won't go through it. We, we we won't. I won't bore anyone with the details. I'll just say it's good for fans who liked it. Um, they're definitely the one thing we'll say definitely struggling a bit with like the age, like these kids now, like with anything I've been dealing with these youth actors, like, uh, but so it's good. I like it. Uh, recommend it to anyone who wants to watch it. I should catch up on it. I'll, I'll try to catch up. on it. It's a good thing, to, but that's a perfect show to have in your back pocket. Cause when you do want to watch it, there'll be like 30 or 40 episodes like, and, or which to me, actually, no, I'm sorry. It's less than a tennis season. So it'll be like 20 to 30, which to me is the perfect amount. Like once you're talking 50 hours of TV, I'm like, that's daunting. But like, I feel like 20, 30, that's a sweet spot. Yeah, I'm with you. All right. Last topic here, Seth. Top Gun Maverick opened a couple weeks ago. Big, big buzz. Tons of buzz. Oscar buzz before it came out. 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. High scores from critics. High scores from audiences. Tom Cruise's biggest opening weekend. It's already made $600 million, yada, yada, yada. The thing that caught my eyes more so than anything 
Tom Cruise biggest opening. That shouldn't be a surprise. T ticket sales go up every year. They're making more money off less tickets. So the fact he's making more money now than ever doesn't blow my mind. What did blow my mind was his second week, the movie dropped only 29% or something like that, which is unheard of. Like a film, oh, the films dropped 50%. 50% is good. Like 60, yeah. like that's anything less than 50% is good. To drop less than 30% is like totally unheard of. So I just. Yeah, I felt like that's also speaks a little bit to some of the competition out right now because mm -hmm. it's not the normal sort of movie season and I have like it's not like every weekend there's another big thing coming out I feel like and so I think it did it kind of it had good word of mouth and it retained it you know from the opening weekend to the next weekend I have not gotten out I, because I am a sad old man that has two kids now I have not been out to the theater to watch this movie my brother has been trying to get me to go see it I do want to see it a lot um I've always had this weird thing with Tom Cruise. I feel like a lot of people don't like Tom Cruise for personal reasons, but I've always thought he's actually kind of an underrated actor in a lot of ways, and I think some of his performances get overlooked. One of the weird things, uh, I kind of wanted them to call it Top Gun 2. The fact that they call it Top Gun Maverick makes it just seem like it's about Cruise and Maverick. I, I, you've seen the movie though, right, Jake? So you probably have more. I did. I hear what you're saying, but after seeing the movie, it's a perfect title. It is... Like, the, well, first of all, I'll say I really enjoyed it. I saw this, like, I didn't see it opening weekend like I normally do. So it was, I wasn't part of that. But uh, I was part of that record hold or whatever, that record money it's made since then. Um, it's good. It's really good. Like, I went in with a little bit, like, eyes slightly askew hearing Oscar buzz. But, like, I also went in not expecting an Oscar movie. I went in expecting a sequel. And, like, and someone, the way I'd heard it described was that it was, like, a sequel like very much a sequel and made as a sequel and almost like a throwback to like what sequels used to be in the 80s and 90s like uh oh this one's twice as dangerous there's like or but uh but with that being said like this was a cool this movie was was really interesting like uh i think it made the right choices and like things that were like some things that were like throwback and maybe that could have been cheesy came off like work. Like, Interesting. I, I'm not going to be the, I'm not going to go through the plot. I'm not going to be the plot police here, but the premise is pretty basic. Uh, simple. Let me, let me just say it. Tom Cruise is a test pilot. He's the best test pilot. Seth. He's working for NASA or something. Um, and he's, he'll do anything, but not just, but he's, it's more than about himself. It's about the science. Um, and so, but like they do a great job, but they do a great job of like setting up, like he's not a fighter pilot. Like they, they reestablish him. They do a great job. It's like really fun. But then with, he gets in trouble cause he's Maverick. And now uh, Iceman bails him out one last time or once again, and you find out that Iceman is now commander of the Pacific fleet. Like he, Iceman's rank gone up in ranking and uh, he's basically been the one keeping who's kept Mav out of trouble and in the air force and flying all these years. I see. And his, like but like, even with all that pull, this was like the last step or whatever. So what ends up happening is he is sent to top gun, basically as punishment. It's the, it's the only way Iceman could keep him in the, within right. the air force and it's punishment. He's sent to top gun to train the next group of recruits, which includes goose's son, nicknamed rooster played by miles teller. But like, so, and again, I wouldn't say 
I will talk about it a bit. I'm not going to go through the plot and like actually the story, but like, so yeah, it's a little bit like he's going back to Top Gun to teach the new class, like back to school too. Like we've always. That was what I expected again, but like the buzz it got though, and some of the Oscar talk, it really did. I mean, my eyes kind of went askew too. You know, I always thought they had missed. You know, back when Tony Scott was alive, I know that there was an opportunity in the late 80s, early 90s to do like a real sequel with like mm-hmm. a lot of the returning cast. And so I'm not sure. I feel like Tony Scott and Cruz diverged after Days of Thunder when Cruz got more into Scientology and mm-hmm. stuff. I don't know if that's a coincidence, but I always kind of wondered what Tony Scott or I mean, I wonder what Tony Scott would think of this movie now. Um, but, you know, to me, he was the biggest factor of that first movie. And he was really big on showing big mechanical things and having big action sequences. I mean, Tony Scott almost invented 90s action in a, in a certain way through Top Gun. And so it's, it's interesting to me that it's doing this well without him as like any type of element with the movie. Well, th- there's a few things I'm going to say. First of all, I think the film, first of all, the film, I'd be interested to know what Tony Scott thought of it. Because I'll say this, this film is way less realistic than the first <laughs> Like, just from, like, I think the first Top Gun, like, it's pretty realistic. Like, it's not like that. Like, yeah, he's a maverick. Maybe the fact that they would graduated the same day they, like, day after someone died and then went on a mission. Like, some of the timing's a little iffy in the first one. But, like, generally the premise of fighter pilots in the Cold War, it's not out of the world. I, I agree with that, yeah. This one, this one's closer to Independence Day than Saving Private Ryan in terms of, like, but, like, with that being said... It's fun. Like, it's a fun... It's not totally outlandish, but, like, there are parts of the movie in the second half where, like, some things happen that are really... You might expect it more in, like, a Marvel movie or something. I don't say that negatively. But, like, there's... It feels like a popcorn movie at certain points. But And it should be. With all that being said, the film does three things really well. I, I thought it did really well. Like, one, it had, like, it all... It had, it's not... It's not as winking as Marvel films, but it's also acknowledges that he's old. Like a big por- portion of the part film is how old he, like, why are you here? Like, it, they, 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 that's not something that's ignored. Like, um, it's well, not I mean, like. The original Top Gun, like, uh, I think Michael Ironside is the one that, like, is doing, like, the, is yeah. the pilot against them. And I always thought he crushed it in that movie. It's just, like, the older teacher. That could still outfly a lot of people. So that, so, so that was it. But then that, that's a perfect lead into the things this film does well. It does, it should, there are arcs for him. It's him being a teacher. I won't talk to you about like the actual, there's some other, it okay. shows him as a teacher, but it doesn't necessarily go, maybe it will, maybe it won't, but like there's arc as a teacher, there's arcs, and there's arcs for him. Like they give him two personal arcs, one with Rooster and one with the Jennifer Connolly character that like, I did like, like, they, they did, there was some real character work done in the film with, like, real person, like, there, there are some small moments, there's some personal moments, and, like, you do get to see Maverick as a character kind of grapple with mortality, future, legacy, like, it's, there's, like, which is cool, like, they do put that character in different things, and the other thing which I liked, and we talk about layers a lot, like, they layered this film, I thought something, with think something really cool, like, the idea of manned vehicles versus drones and the benefits of drones versus manned vehicles. And with, I'm not, this is not giving anything too deep. This is something they established really early, but there's a really cool, like to me, philosophical argument there 
that works really well with the themes and it creates interesting like it creates a really interesting tension and conflict in this film just from a thematic standpoint maverick is a is a man fighter like maverick is such a good fighter he can do things no one else can do and part of that is he is the reason why you don't want to use a machine because he know he can push he knows that you can push a machine past its limits like he knows when to push like it's the fighter it's like what is it like in the chess match like the only way to beat the machine is like to go do something that would be unexpected or bold and so like one the idea is like you need the mat you need maverick you need to fly pilots like maverick for the things they can do and at the same time because they're so unpredictable and so they're so bold that makes it really difficult from like a standing strategic standpoint to count on them and when you don't follow the mission or like you blow off your you don't follow your orders exactly that's also creating the argument for why you should have drones so it's like the idea that him as a character works is both sides of the argument at the same time for the same reason and part of that just as like i'm not a war expert but i'm interested in military history the idea of drone warfare it's something everyone should be thinking about because if not it could change warfare for the for the worse especially if a country doesn't need to send their own soldiers into battle anymore and they can just send drones to like in, start conflicts like it's a bad it's not good so that's a lot i just threw at you but like that was well, part of the element of the i liked it sounds like that's kind of the area, that, I mean, especially with the modern, to bring it into modern times, like, you kind of have to touch on that kind of stuff. So that was probably, it's not, it sounds like, like you said, like, they made some smart choices. So I will be interested to see that movie, um, for sure, and just kind of check in on my old boy Tom Cruise there, I mean. Tommy Singh. All right, I think I think that does it. Ready to wrap this? I got I got one. Song oh, yes. Hit me. Let's just, uh, let's just pour one out for our boy Ray Liotta Jake. <gasps> it was a long run. Oh. He's a great actor in some great movies. Um, I think, I don't know, but I, I think he brought something special to Goodfellas, especially if you watch all of Goodfellas. I mean, that's a big time sprawling movie that he's the rock of throughout. Um, he's also got, you know, loads of other movies on his IMDb, but was sad. Was sad to see him go. Uh, first of all, I apologize. When I wrote this outline, that was before he passed. Yes, thank you for bringing that up. So, I was really sad. That was, I'll be, that was one. That hit me harder than I thought. Um, for it's terrible yeah. when anyone dies, but I was really surprised by like how sad I was. And it's funny, like he, Goodfellas is the one everyone thinks of. Um, yeah. uh, but I think I might have been one of the ten people who saw his film No Escape when he's like sent to the prison island. Uh, <laughs> but I like, but like for you guys like us, like we know he's been in a lot, and like I always liked him, and like yes. Everyone thinks of Goodfellas. Goodfellas. One of the movies I think of is Blow. Like I think he's great in Blow, and I liked him. Good blow, yeah. Copland. Like he's great. Like he's great, and like I liked him when he wasn't the villain, because he because he has that look. Like he, it's almost like Danny Trejo. Like there's something about them that's so. This, this might sound. I don't know. This might sound creepy. Hopefully, it doesn't. Like raw or like, or they're, like they're not. I don't want to say they look like bad guys because it's not that, but like they look almost like fearsome. And like when, when they play the good guy, it's like such, I thought it's such a pleasant surprise for me. So I'm like, I think one of the reasons that, that the Goodfellas role is kind of the iconic one for him is because it really shows he's got this really fun charisma about him. Like it's mm -hmm. kind of fun to hang out with him, but then he also does really have that raw rage side that can come out as well. And it's like, that that's really the perfect movie that kind of displays 
his full repertoire, kind of. And so, I mean, again, he was a talented actor. There was something about him that was a little bit different. Um, I'm not, you know, I don't even know that he has a comparable. I'd, I'd say it's like, this guy kind of reminds me of Ray Liotta. Like, he was kind of a one-of-a-kind in a way. And so, yeah, big loss, big loss uh, for Hollywood there. I think that's a perfect way to describe, like, he is incomparable. Like, that's kind of like, he, he, he could fill roles and he could bring things to roles that, like, other people just... Do you know, this is not a comp, because they're, but he, they're incomparable. <laughs> but he reminds me almost of Walken, in that I'm not saying they're similar, other than the sense that, like, they're both, there's something about them, this, again, I'm going to reveal how waspy I am. There's, like, an ethnicity about them that, like, for old school, like, for white people in the 80s and 90s, like, oh, they're so ethnic. They have an Italian accent or a New York accent. Um, but, like, also that, like, they're, in very different ways, but they both have the ability, like, they're very, I don't know, if, again, look at the right, like, if you look that, at no, striking presence. I would never try to teach somebody to act like Christopher Walken or like Ray Liotta. Like, they were kind of their own things. And I think that you're right, you can't really compare, but in that way, it's like people that you can't really replicate. Uh, I agree, he's kind of in that kind of type of class. Yeah, like I imagine. Again, I'm no writer, but like I imagine you normally like write roles and envision someone in them. I have to imagine like if you're writing, if you you know, not. I'm not doing a good job explaining this, but I feel like if you have like Christopher Walken in mind for a role, or if you have him, I feel like as a director, you're not like I want you to do this, Chris. I feel like it's like Chris, this is do what you want, Ray. Like <laughs> you guys, like take this and bring it to life. Like I, I trust you. Oh man, I'm so thank you for bringing that. Yeah, so, Ray, R.I.P. Ray. R.I.P. We love you. All right, we miss you, man. All right, well, with that, well then, uh, thank you too. It's a sad note, but thank you, thank you for your work, Ray. So. Sorry, sorry to end it on a sad note. No, it's it's uh, it's life, circle of life, and w what better story to end things with? And but it's not, it's a sad story, but also a celebration of his work. Yeah, get some royalties to his family. That's not that they need it, but yeah, go support Ray. Buy, buy a Ray Liotta movie. <laughs> All right, I think that does it. Seth, you want to say goodbye to your friends? Goodbye, friends. Ah. <laughs>